Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. So today's episode, episode number 609, that absolutely blows my mind, is an episode that I recorded for another podcast that I host. I am the co-host of a show called the Digital Enterprise Society Podcast. And this week we interviewed Jim Comer from Comer Communications, talking about business communications and how to communicate when you have to be in a meeting via Zoom or Microsoft Teams. And it was such a great conversation. I knew that I had to share it with all of you right here at Making Waves at Sea Level. But before we get started with today's episode, let me thank the sponsor of today's show. So today's show is brought to you by Spectrum Reach. At Spectrum Reach, they make local businesses big and big brands look small. Advertise on every screen with that one big idea that you need to turn consumers into new customers. They are the most trusted media partner in America, and they're also our neighbors. Welcome to Spectrum Reach. Visit SpectrumReach.com to get started. Now, listen closely to everything that Jim has to share, because in this virtual world, he has some really important thoughts. Hey, hey, and welcome back to, or if it's your first time, welcome to the Digital Enterprise Society Podcast. Thank you so much for coming along on the journey of this show that we designed to be a resource for those who work in and around PLM. The Digital Enterprise Society, it is a forum for the exchange of ideas surrounding the tools, processes, and practices used across the product lifecycle. To learn more, visit digitalenterprisesociety.org. My name is Tom Singer, and I have the honor to co-host this podcast, usually every single week with Craig Brown, who is an industry veteran and former PLM leader at General Motors. But today, it's just me. Today, we're having one of those career talks with an expert in communications. And I think that never before has business communications been more important than in the world we're living in now and every crazy thing that has happened, uh, both in person and now so much communication is done digitally. And that's what we're gonna talk about today because every single week we try to bring to this podcast interesting interviews and other ideas that will help all of our listeners enhance and grow their careers. And today my guest is Jim Comer. And Jim is, for lack of a better term, he's a communications expert. He coaches executives all over the world on how to better get their message apart, uh, across through the use of the spoken word. And so I thought I would invite Jim here to the Digital Enterprise Society podcast to talk to everybody about how can we communicate better. Hey, Jim, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Tom. I, I love that digital enterprise society. I feel important already. Yes, no, it's 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 a great group, and uh, this podcast we've been doing it for now almost a year and a half, and it is uh, like we said, it's designed to help people grow their careers. And we all know that communication skills is one of the ways that you can help yourself advance. And so, before we start the interview, if I was to just say communication skills, both in a general term and now in this sort of digital online, Zoom, et cetera world, what are the two points you would want everybody to walk away with 
that they need to know to be better communicators? Well, number one has to be individuality. Individuality leads to likability and likability leads to connection. So what I always tell people more than anything else, be the best of who you really are. The person that your friends and family know and enjoy that guy. Don't try to be perfect when you make a speech, when you're on Zoom, when you're reporting to your team. Don't be that guy who feels like they've got to be absolutely letter perfect. Because when you do that, you're most likely to be reading, to be being careful, or to, to worry so much about how you're coming across. Don't worry about how you come across. Come across as you really are. And then you're going to be much more likable and approachable and authentic. And then what was the second one? And then what would another tip be? The, the other one, and I've got to go for this because we got, you tell me, this is software engineers, right? A lot of them. Sure. So I believe strongly that you should make a few points well, not many points badly. <laughs> I say this because I am a typical audience. And at the end of any presentation, if I walk away with one or two points, you have done a great job. And I believe that I am pretty much like the average audience. We can't remember four, five, six, seven, eight points. And yet so often I hear people trying to flood me with points and I'm left with a blur. <laughs> so what I would tell audiences always is know what the one or two key things you want to get across. You need to know that. And then you need to focus on that. Then make sure that you repeat those points interestingly. You give examples, you give stories, drive those key points home, and there's a good chance that your audience will actually remember them. So Jim, we're going to impact some of that and, and go deeper throughout this interview, but let's back up a little bit. I introduced you as, as an expert in communication. What's your background? How did you, how did you first take communication skills uh, by the horns? By accident, as in much of my life. I was writing, uh, I was an actor in New York for a number of years, and I was one of the 100,000 people trying to get the 400 jobs. And I know it's no surprise to know that I was not one of the 400 chosen by God. So ultimately, I ended up getting a job with Avon Products writing sales meetings for their, you know, half a million ladies, Avon ladies. And one day they asked me to write a speech for the CEO. I had never written a speech before. But he was speaking to my, my audience. He was speaking to my ladies. So I wrote a warm, personal speech, and everybody loved it because it's not corporate sounding. And they actually asked me to come and listen to the CEO practice this speech. And when I heard him practice it, he was god-awful, <laughs> terrible beyond belief. I mean, I mean, I was so stunned. And all I can think of, he's going to ruin my perfect speech. So I went up to this man who barely knew my name. And I said, sir, I think you can be even better if we could rehearse a few times. Would you like to do that? And I waited for him to fire me. And he didn't. <laughs> he said, no one ever asked me to rehearse before. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I can tell that. And he said, I think it's a good idea. So he and I rehearsed three or four times together before his big speech. And he got better. Not great, but better. And everybody noticed it. And when he gave the speech, it was a hit. And suddenly I was a speech coach. Interesting. And so it changed my life. So you started speech coaching for executives. And 
And, and, and where did that path lead you? Let's hear a little bit more about this. Well, I mean, once I found out that if you coach the CEO, you get lots of respect and everybody thinks you're wonderful. I thought, well, this is a good thing. And so I began to coach the executive team at Avon and it, it worked. I think all those acting classes that I'd taken, I used the best of those and I brought those acting skills into, into coaching and also the writing, my writing skills. So it's a combination because what I know is you've got to have great content. The content has to be really, really good. And it's got to sound like the person who's speaking, not something with a bunch of big words or jargon or sounds, you know, like an automaton. No, I don't want that. I want an individual. So the content has got to be really individual and personal. And then once you've got the content in great shape, then you bring in the, the um, coaching. And so that the, the expression, the way it's delivered is just as authentic as the, as the words. And so when you, com- you combine the two, then you've got a really strong speech. So that's a good trend. Other- that's a good transition into what you sort of started with, where you talked about when you give a speech. And, and I don't think a lot of our, of our listeners give a lot of speeches like to big audiences, but a lot of them do have to right. report out to their teams and they do have to, to have conversations with clients and, and, and other, other stakeholders. So one of your opening pieces of advice was be yourself. So how are some ways that when people are communicating, whether it's in person or digital, how do they get in touch with themselves? The most important part is to not make any major changes when you're giving that report to your team. How would you talk to somebody if it was you on the, in the water cooler and you were telling somebody at the water cooler something about the project you're doing? That person right there would be real and natural. You'd use body language that you would use in real life. You would have the smile that you have in real life. Your voice would have fluctuation. It wouldn't be trying to not make a mistake. You want to bring that actual, authentic person with you. It might start by, by giving a smile at the beginning of your, of your presentation. Because so often I see people, and I've seen this over and over, including CEOs. They'll get up, and they're, they could be speaking to 10 people or 1,000, and they'll say something like, good morning, I'm really glad to be here. Now let's get started. Well, did I believe that? Good morning, I'm glad to be here. No, if you're going to say, good morning, I'm glad to be here. It's got to sound like this. It's got to have a smile. It's got to be good morning. I'm really glad to be here. Let's get started now because I have got some exciting news for you. You see, what's happened then is that my, my tone of voice, the pauses, the not rushing, the really taking the time to let them know, I'm glad to be here. We're going to have a great day. See, that's so different than rushing into content, which I see people doing all the time. And so therefore, we don't believe the very first words they said, which is, I'm glad to be here. Anything you say, I want to hear not just the words. I want to hear the tone. I want to hear the belief. For example, if you're talking about some technical breakthrough that you've just made, I, you know, I know you're smart already. I know your experience or you wouldn't have the job. What I want to know is what can you bring to me besides that content? How do you feel about what you're talking about? Are you excited about this breakthrough you're telling me about or this problem you got to solve? Tell me in your tone. Tell me in the way you come across how you feel. 
I want to know what you can say more than just the, the simple words. I want to get the feeling with the words. If it's a problem, I want to hear in your voice. We have got a problem that we are going to solve. And when we solve it, blankety blank, blank. But I want to hear in the, in the, in the words, I want to hear the tone matching the words. If you say you're excited about something, you have got to sound excited. You know, you can't tell me you're excited if you don't sound excited. And I hear it all the time. But in team meetings, lots of times people are asked, maybe the president of the company has come in to hear what your team is doing to give a report. People get nervous because their boss is there, their boss's boss is there, maybe members of the board are there. So it's hard to like be yourself and let yourself out when you feel all the eyes are on you, right? Just, but it has to be just the opposite. We even more reason to be who you really are if the president is there or the board members. I just coached some people for a board meeting last week, and I got to listen to a three-hour board meeting from a Texas state agency. And I got to tell you, the people who that were best on that board meeting were the people that had a sense of humor, that they kidded themselves a little bit, that if something went wrong, they didn't get upset. Just the opposite. We think that we've got to be perfect. Trying to be perfect is the biggest mistake you can make. Nobody wants to hear perfect. They want to hear somebody that's real and human. And what we do is when we are real and human, we, our voice takes on our natural tone. And we sound like a human being, not someone reading or not trying to make a mistake. So that's, a, that's an interesting point. Not trying to make a mistake you can make. That's an interesting point that you bring up because one of the things that, that I've found, uh, the biggest compliment that I ever got as a professional speaker was one of my college friends happened to be in the audience. I was speaking for a company and he worked for that company. He didn't know I was going to be the keynote speaker. I didn't know he was going to be at the meeting. We, we hadn't kept in touch. And afterwards, he told me, wow, when you're on stage, you're like the same guy you'd have a beer with at the fraternity party. So it was like for him, it was like, wow, you're the same on stage as you are in person. And I thought that was the biggest compliment. I ever received. Tom, it was the biggest compliment because that's exactly what I'm talking about. But see, what happens is when people get in front of a group, especially if someone important is there, they either get so constricted and they, they okay, I'm going to talk just the way it should be. I'm not going to make any mistakes. I'm going to tell this just the way uh, I think it should be. You see, you see what's happening to my voice? All of a sudden, all the tone out of my voice, the ups and downs, the vocal variety, it went away. You, If you're speaking in front of a group, no matter what, you've got to be even more who you really are. And don't read. Don't read your slides. Don't read the Reading is death. Do not do it. Talk to me. Don't read to me. So, Jim, another- Especially don't read. I'd rather you mail it in than read the slides. Don't read the slides. So, Jim, another thing that you said in the in the introduction was another thing was don't put too many points into your presentation. And I see this all the time in corporate presentations. Everybody wants to prove how much work they've done, how smart they are, how hardworking their team is. So they have like 23 things that they're going to try and do in their 10 minutes uh, that they have to speak at the meeting. So how do you even you talked about using fewer points? How do you even choose which three points it should be? Very easy. First of all, I think three is probably too many because Jim Comer here, if I'm really at my top of my game, I might remember two. 
do if you're really good. So here's the simple way. And if you don't remember, I'm going to just go right to the heart of it here. If you remember nothing else that I say today, oh, you software engineers, I want you to remember this. You need to know before your report to your team or to whatever group you're talking to, you need to know what are the most important things I want to get across. Let's just say two. What are the, if I could only have them remember two things at the end of my presentation, what would they be? Now, if you know that going in, then you can absolutely focus on those two things. Make sure that those two key things, you should get them across. And then if you have to make, if you want to make other points on top of that, fine. But I got to tell you, they're not going to remember more than two. I, I know this because for 20, over 20 years, when I speak on communication skills, I always ask the audience this question. I say, I want you all to think about the last presentation, speech, sermon that you've heard, the last one. Then I give them 10 seconds to think of it. I say, got it? Okay, what were the two main points? And then there is a deafening silence. I asked them to raise their hands when they thought of the two main points. And out of a, I would say that 90% of the audience can't remember even one of the main points of the last presentation that they heard. And this has been true over the years, no matter what kind of audience. So I'm telling you, if you want your key points to be remembered, you've got to make them come alive. You've got to say them not just once, but you've got to say them interestingly in a number of ways and tell a story about one of them. Tell an anecdote, tell a before and after, have a killer slide that has a picture on it that will drive it home. Do something to help me remember that key point because most of us don't remember much. <laughs> and I got to tell you, engineers are the worst on this, but they, they think they've got to be, they think they've got to make every point. Well, I got to tell you, you can make them, but they're not going to remember them. If you're trying to make five to 10 points or more, you're just giving us a blur. Know what you want them to remember. So, Jim, we've moved into this world uh, because of the global pandemic where everybody was asked to social distance and work from home. And so now most of our communication with our customers, with our bosses, with our coworkers, with our design teams, etc., most of those are taking place over Zoom, Microsoft Teams or some other digital platform. How does communicating over a digital platform change? What are the things we need to pay attention to? Well, first of all. Uh, I must say that we need to accept the fact that Zoom is with us forever. If you think we're going back to the good old days, no, we're not. Once we get out of this pandemic, we'll have a lot more in-person meetings. And I think that's great because I'm an extrovert and I love them. I love to be in the room with people. I love the hugs and the conversations, but Zoom will be with us from now on. I would think that in the future, our meetings are gonna be maybe half Zoom and half in person, that kind of thing. So we need to accept the fact that Zoom is with us. The two most important things I could tell you about Zoom would be light and sound. Let me add a third one, lens, light, sound, lens. 
First of all, if you are if you don't have good, good lighting when you're speaking on Zoom and you look like you're in a closet or a cave, this is not a good way to reach your audience. <laughs> they want to be able to see your face, to see your expression, to have eye contact with you. If you don't have good lighting, you're not going to have this and you're going to frustrate your audience. If you like, if you were in a room making an in-person presentation and you turned the lights off. You wouldn't do that in person. Why would you not have good lighting for Zoom? So you need to you need to take a look at your lighting. You need to see, and they really see your face well. And if not, you need to either do find some way to get good lighting. For me, I had to buy some. I went to Amazon. I said video lighting. I spent one hundred and ten dollars. I got some good lights, and it has made all the difference. Best one hundred and ten dollars I ever spent. And and for now, some people. For some people, you can actually position it where you have a window that you're facing when you're speaking so that the light is coming in. I've seen people use natural light yes. and it works out great. But the problem is, what if it's daylight savings, you know, or, or uh, you know, and, and it's getting darker earlier or whatever. All of a sudden, your natural light's not going to be there. You have to have some way to properly light your setting. Yeah. And there is no one one way it fits all for this. It depends on what your room is like, what, what your overhead lights are like. You, you need to experiment with this. Just make sure that your audience can see you because it is incredibly frustrating for an audience not to be able to see you well. Uh, so that's one thing. Secondly is sound. They want to be able to hear you. And, you know, Tom and I, before this uh, podcast today, we were struggling with my mic, my expensive mic that I bought. So it would be so good on, on podcasts and, and on Zoom calls. Well, for some reason, I had it so it wasn't working right. And we had to we had to spend a little time getting it so that you could hear me. You do not want an audience struggling to hear your words. That's just make that defeats the whole purpose. So make sure you're either close enough to your laptop or you've got an external mic something so it's easy for them to hear you because you mean if, i know it's so, so hard when you're when somebody is saying something important and you can't quite hear them i've literally put my my ear up to the laptop sometime trying to hear people that's not how you want to do it you want people to have it easy to see you and hear you and then the last point is look in the lens I've got an external camera now because I was told that would make it a lot easier. So I've got a camera right above my screen of my uh, of my uh, monitor, and I'm the lens. In fact, I even put the a face of a person. I imagine a face in that lens. When I'm able to do that, it makes it so much more easy to talk on Zoom. So a lot of people, Jim, just in fact, the keynote about. Uh, three months ago, and I wasn't sure that I could do an hour keynote on, on Zoom that would really hold their attention. And you know, when I, when I put that face there, when I actually imagined my audience and saw a face in the lens, it was night and day. It All of a sudden, I really felt like I was talking to a person. So Jim, a lot of people use just the built-in mic and the built-in camera in their laptop. And, and one of the problems is sometimes those built-in cameras are down at the bottom of the screen. Sometimes they're at the top of the screen. But instead of looking at the camera, they look at the person's face on the screen. But what the other person is seeing is you not really looking at them. So, you know, isn't, isn't it weird, though, to look into that little dot that's at the top of the, or just above your screen? It is absolutely weird. 
Everything about Zoom is weird at the beginning, but you just have to train yourself. I have had to train myself to look into the lens, wherever the lens is. And that's true if you're doing something on your phone. You got to find the lens on your phone as well. So you need just know that even if it feels weird, it is making eye contact with the audience. And that's what you want to do. You want them to feel that you are speaking directly to them. And the way to do that is through the lens. I've even told people to put a piece of paper over the screen so they can't see the screen at some point if they're doing a long thing so that they're not able to be looking at the at the screen and getting their eye contact off the lens. You want to be with the lens at all times. So Jim, what about backgrounds? Where should people, should they like be in their kitchen? Should they have dirty dishes behind them? Should they use a virtual background? Should they have the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge behind them? What about the setting that they're in? You gave me a lot of material there, Tom. First of all, let's be let's be honest about today. This podcast is just audio, but I knew that you would be looking at me. So before we got together this morning, I took this back here. I've got filing cabinet. You heard me. You heard me beat on it just then. My filing cabinet was covered with junk. I mean, lots. So I moved all the junk off of the filing cabinet and put it on my desk out of view so that even Tom was not seeing a messy background. You want your background to reflect the person you want to be. Someone said that a background is a lot like a doctor's waiting room. If you walk into a doctor's waiting room and it looks messy, if it's dirty, if it's full of trash, if it's got all sorts of wild stuff going on, how does that make you feel about the doctor you're about to get maybe life and death information from. You want your background, your waiting room to be inviting and not in any way distracting. There is no one right way. I watched uh, the four high-tech executives speak to a congressional committee about six weeks ago. And I was seeing, I was wanting to know how they'd come across. Three of them had absolutely blank backgrounds. <laughs> it was just a kind of a wall with nothing on it so that the focus was totally on them. Uh, Jeff Bezos had bookshelves like I do, and it worked for him, but none of them had anything distracting. You just don't want that, to, you don't want to do that to an audience. And as for virtual backgrounds, well, I've seen Hawaii, I've seen mountaintops, I've seen the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, I'm just probably insecure enough that I don't want to have to compete with vacation destinations because I want them looking at me and I don't want them thinking about, oh gosh, I wish I could go to Hawaii right now. Will I ever get to take a vacation again? Is this pandemic gonna end? No, that's what might be going through your mind if you've got this fabulous background. I'm just gonna have me and my bookshelves and hope that they pay attention to me. That's, you know, that, that may be the insecure answer, but it, it is mine. And also, I think it's also important to talk about attire, Tom. Uh, I know that in high tech, often people dress down and that's maybe fine. I mean, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, you can wear a t-shirt through life. However, when he spoke to Congress, he wasn't wearing a t-shirt. He was wearing a coat and top. I think that you want to look professional, whatever that means for your group. Now, if you're in a completely t-shirt wearing group, then I guess it's okay to wear a t-shirt. But if you're not in a t-shirt wearing group, just look professional. You know, 
And, and of course, and if you've got a T-shirt, make sure that you don't have some wild thing written on it because somebody is going to get offended in this world where everybody is offended about everything. <laughs> and I must say, because of the news that came out two weeks ago, if you're on Zoom, please wear pants. <laughs> wear pants. But as, we, as most of you probably heard, the famous CNN legal correspondent, Jeffrey Tubin, who was also a staff writer for The New Yorker, a couple of weeks ago, he was on a Zoom call. And we found out later he thought that the Zoom was off. And let's just say he did not have pants on and he was doing something he ought not to be doing. And the world saw it. And he is no longer working for CNN. He's no longer working for The New Yorker. His career is basically over. Don't do anything on Zoom that you wouldn't want the world to see. And always assume that they're looking. And that includes when you're off camera, when somebody else is talking. So that brings up an interesting I mean, question. I used that, Go ahead. That, that brings up an interesting question. And that is when you're not talking, should you be paying attention? Absolutely. And let me just admit something I did for the first couple of months on Zoom. I had a number of breakfast meetings. And I would be eating my yogurt during the thing. And all of a sudden, I realized nobody else on these calls was eating. And I realized, not so smart, Jim. I put away the yogurt. I might take a sip of coffee. That's as much as I'll do. And you need to be paying attention. Because even when you're not the main person talking, your, your picture is in that little, little uh, square. And many people will be looking at you even when you think they're not. And if you are reading the paper or checking your email or yawning or doing anything that's not paying attention, it makes them think, well, if he's not paying attention, why should I? And it makes you look like you don't care. It's not a, it's not a positive, it's a negative. So even if you're not interested, try to look interested. So it seems to me that a lot of the communication skills that make people successful, whether it's in person or whether it's via some sort of a digital transmission, it's not one thing. It sounds like there's a lot of little nuances that if you learn and you practice them, you're going to come off looking better than the people who are just sort of winging it. Oh, I'm against winging it because I think that most people need to have some rehearsal. Even if you're just speaking to your team, it really wouldn't hurt you to spend a half an hour saying what you're going to say out loud, just going over it, getting warmed up. I'm a big believer in rehearsal because it makes us sharper. It makes us better. Two other things I want to add here. There's something I've been saying for years called A-T-O, acknowledge the obvious. By that, I mean when something unexpected happens something goes wrong, you need to right away acknowledge it. Don't pretend it isn't happening. And my goodness, on Zoom, with all the technological challenges we've got, things will go wrong from time to time. Don't look stricken. <laughs> Don't get upset. Just have a smile on your face. Say, well, looks like we're having a little problem here. We're going to do our best to fix it. Bear with me. And if you look optimistic and you handle it with grace and humor, whatever happens, whatever happens, 
it can be a plus for you because the audience is saying, God, I love the way Tom handled that when his chair fell over (laughs) or the picture fell off the wall or his dog walked into the room. You know, whatever it is, if you just handle it with grace and humor, the audience will love you for it. And if if you have a small child, all of a sudden during the middle of the call, they walk in and jump on your lap. Well, that is a gift from God. Because everybody in the audience is going, oh, and it'd be nice to the kid now. <laughs> Don't look like you're unhappy with your child. Give that, give him a little hug, play with it. They're going to love you for that. In fact, that'll probably be the thing that they remember most about your entire talk is how you handled your kid that interrupted you. <laughs> if you do it lovingly and then you try to gently get rid of him, then they're going to think, oh, isn't Tom great for the way he handled that? And they're going to have a positive feeling about you. Because here's what I want to end my part with. We all, especially those who are highly technical engineers, we think it's all about our information. It is not. We want your information, but we also want to have a feeling about you. It's the information plus the feeling. Because at the end of the day, after you've finished your report or whatever you do, the audience is going to have a, they're either going to say, I really liked, really liked him. I thought she was terrific. Or they're going to have a blah feeling, or they're going to have a negative feeling. It's those are the only three things that are going to happen. They're going to like you. They're going to be forget you, or they're going to have a negative feeling. So do everything in your, in your possible uh, toolbox to let them know and like you, because if they like you, they're more likely, A, to remember your information and, and keep that positive feeling about you for the future. Well, Jim Comer, thank you so much for joining us here on the Digital Enterprise Society. If, if somebody listened to this and they're like, I need to know more about Jim Comer, how do they find you? Jim Comer, J-I-M-C-O-M-E-R at me, M-E dot com. Jim Comer at me dot com. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of your communication skills, knowledge for the real world and the digital world. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I'll tell you what, we hope that you'll join us every single week for more thoughts, ideas, and information in and around product lifecycle management. The Digital Enterprise Society, it is the place for the exchange of ideas and uh, around the digital manufacturing tools. So go check us out right now at digitalenterprisesociety.org. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at tomsinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at tomsinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.